we approach the topic of the costs of network downtime, um, just to kind of set it, I'm calling um, downtime as a lack of network availability. We're going to mostly be talking about unplanned uh, downtime, but um, that isn't where we'll exclusively draw the line. Um, and these are just some questions to provoke thought as we get started. So I riddle you or riddle me this, whatever you want to, riddle is the riddle is the operating word here. Is downtime inevitable? And I'm saying uh, absolutely yes, uh, for a number of reasons. Can it be managed? Um, well, it absolutely has to be if you want to stay in business. Um, good downtime versus bad downtime. Maybe good downtime isn't the right, um, you know, opposing uh, term for bad in this case, but bad is certainly unplanned. And uh, perhaps what I was going for by saying good as I read it is uh, managed, planned. Um, so there, there are shadings to the whole notion of downtime. And again, we'll get into a, a little bit of both because they both do have costs, uh, which leads to the last bullet. And, uh, you know, does even no downtime have a cost? And, and I'm saying absolutely yes. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. So again, just to kind of prime the pump, get the juices flowing about downtime, network downtime as a as a uh, umbrella heading for everything that comes next. So again, before we even get into the actual uh, notion of costs, just some important considerations about uh, where the unplanned downtime comes from. Um, you know, these are from my own uh, career observations over time. Certainly human error is a big one and that can encompass all kinds of different things. Um, you know, different uh, things that human beings do that lead to downtime. Code issues, uh, some vendors are uh, more generous in this regard than others. And even if we do everything right, um, code issues are one of those things we just can't control. Um, we don't have a lot of sway over sometimes. Equipment does die, you know, power supplies go bad, fans go bad, solder joints get cold, uh, cables get manipulated by other trades, um, you know, a lot of things happen that uh, make equipment fail and it's just the nature of the beast and you know, no news there, hopefully. Uh, a lot of times we, uh, our downtime comes from upstream problems like things that happen with ISPs or if we're a tenant on another network, you know, they have problems, which means we have problems, you know, that sort of thing. Um, certainly time bombs hidden in the topology, what I call time bombs, you know, multiple, redundant paths and one of them, you know, suddenly gets kicked into service and, you know, something is lurking under the hood that, you know, we didn't really plan on. And we did something wrong that wasn't realized for months or years. Um, that sort of thing is certainly present in today's more complicated networks. Sometimes vendors don't play good together. Um, you know, vendor A and vendor B should be compatible. We have standards, but as uh, we all know, the good thing about standards is there's so darn many of them, right? Or whatever that, there, there's a subtle joke in there I might be botching, but a lot of times vendors don't approach the same standard in a standardized way. Um, 
then poor life cycle management. You know, I'm, I'm guessing it's not news to many of us that sometimes we just let, let stuff get too old before we replace it. We let our topologies get dated. We let our equipment, you know, stay too long in the rack and that comes back to bite you. And then there's the environmentals, the heat and power, you know, power surges and all that. So just a quick, quick run through of, you know, causes of downtime. Some are more preventable than others, but we end up answering for all of them. And with that, let's get into the meat of the discussion. We promised you a discussion on the costs of network downtime, and that's where we're going. Um, often, those costs are not quantifiable until you actually have an incident. And that's because different incidents can cost you different, you know, have different impact. Um, you know, some of it, some of the determination on how deep that impact is, is, you know, the simple question of how crucial is the network to a given business and downtime will be proportional. And maybe that's a statement of the obvious, but um, you know, there are some, businesses that you know are 100% reliant on their network and you know even the slightest you know downtime ends up being an issue others just say well we have a manual way of of doing whatever it is that the network does but it's no big deal we can wait till you know somebody fixes it blah 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 so this is not a, a one size fits all story where we're about to go and i think that'll come out as we talk a little more So one measure of downtime cost is dollars. Um, when the network is involved in producing widgets or helping in the production of widgets, it's easy to count uh, lost dollars per minute, for example. And I put the Pepsi bottles in there because one of my first jobs after I did my military time was I worked for a uh, Pepsi bottler. And it was just fascinating, this high-speed, crazy production environment. And I learned real quick that when the bottling line went down, uh, this guy named Larry, the only guy wearing a shirt and tie in the place, would come out of his office um, on the second floor, such that it was in this weird little uh, complex. And he'd come barreling down, and he would start ripping off, uh, you know, estimations of how much product we lost and what that counted for for dollars and he would try to rally people to that's a polite way a polite way of saying what larry did trying to get people energized to get the problem fixed because of lost dollars and you know that kind of stuck with me that you know that line goes down for five minutes this guy knew exactly how much money the plant lost and it was just you know kind of striking that it could be that precise and i'm sure he was right i'm sure he was very good at what he did so you know, some, some downtime is easy to measure. And then there's some that are, you know, not quite so, um, you know, unit driven. That was uh, the Gartner paper that I mentioned there on the slide, um, you know, service oriented business like airlines, they, met, they mentioned the Southwest experience. And in that same document, if you wanna go look it up, there's another story about a web hosting company that, you know, their outage was so bad that they went bankrupt. But in this case, you know, Southwest lost a router and, you know, you can see that, you know, millions were lost and it's kind of contextless because we don't know the, you know, how long was it out and what was really out and all of that. But at the same time, 
let the 54 to 82 million sink in and that's that's nothing i would ever want to own <laughs> i don't want to be the guy who screwed up that router uh, if it was human error um you know the network anymore is so pivotal to so many things and when i say the network i'm talking wired wireless wan i mean just just networking in general is so uh integral to so many processes that you're going to feel it when it goes out. So dollars are one measure, and it's kind of the easy one if you can wrap your head around it and if you have a way of measuring it. And usually my guess is even you know what you think it is in dollars. Um, if you stretch your imagination and, and kind of think about it more, I'm guessing a lot of people undervalue the cost of an outage because um, there's a lot of tangential pieces that maybe don't get counted. For example, <clears throat> lost man hours. I'm sure you can translate these to dollars if you're um, an MBA or something and you're you're really um, good at making those correlations. But let's leave dollars behind for a minute and just talk about the notion of lost man hours. And again, you know, through my 20 plus years of doing networking, this is one of the ones that always bothered me. Depending on how your manning is, depending on what your staff to do, you know, you may be on a team that is working on um, other things and network, you know, trouble hits and all of a sudden becomes an all hands on deck thing. And you, you have to break your momentum. You got to stop what you're doing and you got to go deal with the downtime. And, and that is impactful. Um, depending on what you're doing, the notion of uh, priority product or priority projects uh, getting pushed aside, um, you know, that happens. I'm sure some of you can at least empathize with this somewhat. And I found, you know, even for myself sometimes, it's really hard to shift gears. It's hard to just stop what you're doing, run off, deal with the emergency, get it resolved, and then go right back to where you picked up. So even if the the outage was, you know, two hours, whatever the crisis was, it might have cost you, you know, four to six hours to, you know, find your place and, you know, get back into the swing of things or get back up to the speed that you needed to be at for whatever the other stuff is that you are doing. And it's a little more nebulous, um, but it's absolutely, uh, a, you know, it's absolutely a, a fact of life when it comes to network downtime. Um, you know, this is one of those things that that happens. And then the other part is, another thing I've learned along the way is that if you are correct in your methodology and you know, you're trying to learn from downtime and uh, figure out what you can do different the next time and uh, the notion of RCAs, which is root cause analysis, if you're not familiar, getting to the bottom of what happened, identifying what happened, and then identifying the causes of what happened and the steps that you can take to prevent it from happening again, that takes time. And that time deducts from the time that you could be doing other things as well. So there's absolutely a, a uh, you know, time commitment to preventing and learning, you know, preventing another outage and learning uh, what happened in this outage that, you know, you're not doing other things. And as I mentioned there, you know, an outage might be brief, but the fallout could last a lot longer because you're trying to make sure it doesn't happen again. So 
again, the, the temporal aspect, you know, time here. And then I have seen uh, people get really depressed. You know, this, this thing happened and I got yelled at and, you know, it kind of sucked and it ruined my day. And, you know, the, the loss of morale and motivation, it's kind of an odd byproduct, depending on what the incident was that, you know, led to a, a network outage. But um, depending on how people are wired and, you know, what their chemistry is and what their, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, internal fortitude, um, you know, whatever the right description is, you know, people do get, they, they take it personally, you know, they internalize what happened and blame themselves, or they just, like I say, get bummed out, whatever. And, and that kind of impacts things too. It's, it's hard to work when you're feeling that way. And when you're feeling that way, you can make more mistakes that lead to more downtime. So it's, it's kind of a fuzzy metric, but at the same time, depending on your, um, you know, your IT organizational climate, it can absolutely be a fact of life maybe a sign of bad management or, you know, management that needs improving or somebody who uh, needs to get some confidence or whatever, but it's absolutely a, a valid measure and a valid byproduct of downtime. One of my favorites, reputation. And I've learned to be um, very mindful of, you know, things go wrong. Yeah, you can look at the dollars lost, you can look at the man hours lost, and the whole uh, idea of reputation. You know, you're good for years, you're stellar for years. Then you have one incident, depending on the incident, your reputation can be, uh, you know, just trashed for years. Unfortunately, it's not the street cred that you build up before an incident may not carry you through after the incident and get you right back on good standing with people, depending on the, the scope of the outage and all that. Reputation is so precious and so fragile. Um, you know, we're talking company, a network team and, and personal reputation. So when I consider, you know, the reputational damage to a, to a you know, a company, call it Google, call it Amazon, you know, AWS, Cisco, whatever, you know, the, the company, they're our company, you know, we have a data breach or something at my small business, regardless of, of who the company is, the after effect is, well, they're not trusted anymore, or maybe their trust, their trustability took a pretty good black eye. You know, that that's no good. And it also does come can come with downtime. Um, if you're part of the IT team uh, behind a, a outage and you haven't communicated well, or you've proven that you weren't ready, or um, even if you did everything right and you've got a, a small-minded manager who just jumps to, um, you know, goes right to the negligence card and looking for somebody to hang, you know, the network team sucks. They must've chose bad equipment. Maybe they don't know what they're doing. They should have fixed it quicker. Right or wrong, um, reputation gets shaped by other people's perception, even if they're wrong. And it, it sometimes gets propagated in its wrongness and, you know, that hurts. And again, it, it directly falls under the heading of, of downtime cost. And then, you know, you as the individual, uh, probably we've all, been in this situation before, you know, somebody looks at you and you just know what they're thinking, even if they're not saying it, you know, you're supposed to be the expert. I have lost confidence in you. 
something happened on your watch. You know, you're not who I thought you were technically. <laughs> and, and that can be a hard hole to climb out of, even if it's wrongly applied. So, um, you know, these are all just facts of life uh, because we're human beings. And, uh, you know, it kind of is what it is, but at the same time, it, it really is something worth pondering as its own standalone cost of network downtime, at least in my opinion. And this one is kind of uh, interesting. If you, you know, kind of think a little bit about the butterfly effect, you know, something happens and um, then other things happen because of that one thing that happened. And, you know, kind of think of it as maybe rings on a bullseye and maybe this is the fourth or fifth ring out, but, um, you know, not only are we impacted by the loss of our own, um, or, or our own downtime costs us money, costs us reputation, eventually that effect can propagate upstream to our vendors. So if it happens enough, you know, we've got enough of the bullets on the page here, code bugs and failed features, and we find out that what they said on the data sheet isn't exactly true. And, you know, maybe, you know, support for 60,000 clients on a controller is really, not if you're using these other features, but nowhere is it documented, whatever. You know, poor support, um, you know, every every fix is, okay, now you gotta do a disruptive upgrade. Well, now you gotta do another one. And now here's an engineering build, and now here's this, and now here's that. Each one of those that causes us network downtime, sooner or later, we reach our breaking points. And we say no more, we're changing vendors that brings added costs. Now you've got the vendor has lost business because of our downtime that ultimately, you know, they're named in RCAs over and over and over. So they've lost business, we've lost dollars, we've lost reputation, but changing vendors is not cheap either. And it kind of gets done on the hope that long-term TCO will help us cover our past losses, at least, you know, get us in a better frame of mind or at least give some hope for a while you know maybe it pans out maybe it doesn't but again out on the out on the uh, outer horizon of uh, cost of business this is absolutely one of them and then i asked up front you know does having no downtime bring costs and and absolutely it does i mean if you build a strategy that says we're going to have no downtime or as little downtime as possible the only way you're going to get there is to take all these bullets and build your own insurance policy we're going to have really good instrumentation we're going to know that problems are coming and act to avoid them before they result in downtime that costs money you know staff training and getting better staff and getting better equipment and doing all of the things that go into making an environment both on the technical side and on the people side robust and strong um, it doesn't come cheap you know, the notion of avoiding single person dependencies i'm guessing a lot of people listening to me right now uh, are the expert at something and if they go on vacation there's a lot of discomfort with okay well what do we do when ron's out what do we do when you know bob is out what do we do when so and so is out if problems crop up um, 
you know, the ability to, or the, the um, notion of, you know, having more than one, uh, you know, expert on a given area for many of us, it's like, eh, well, you know, hopefully so-and-so will learn whether they ever do learn and whether they ever can backfill that really good person on a specific area or specific system. You know, sometimes it's realized, sometimes it isn't. But if you really wanted to have two experts, you're going to pay for it. And a lot of times it's not a justifiable cost. And, um, you know, it, it's just one of those things. Automation is becoming more of a a marketed defense against downtime. You know, you can defend against human errors. I don't care what any marketer says, automation isn't cheap. And automation, you can automate wrong and you can actually automate and cause downtime. So it's not a grand panacea. If you get it right, it can help, um, but it in and of itself isn't a fix unless it's done well. So again, the, the goal of having no downtime um, you know, all of this is, is insurance. If you look at this, a lot of times there is no payoff except um, when something happens and a redundant, you know, version of whatever failed kicks in. It's an insurance policy and it can be very expensive if you're doing all the things on this slide. So as we cruise towards the finishing line or finish line here, um, some of my thoughts, nobody's immune to downtime. You know, in a perfect world, we know it's coming. We plan it if we need a maintenance outage or whatever. We communicate it to our customers. If our customers are going to feel the impact, you know, it would be so nice if we can let them know rather than them being the barometer and the canary in the coal mine um, that we're having problems. Um, on that thought, you know, how we handle it from preparation to what lessons we learn and how we grow and um, you know our strategies to prevent downtime uh, that we've you know take away from any incident. All of that defines our future success. Again, back to the hosting company I mentioned that was in that Gartner uh, report. Whatever happened there, they went out of business. They were not ready for it. And it was so catastrophic, boom, they're done. So somebody wasn't really prepared and uh, however they handled it was, was not good. So, um, you know, they're not going to have future success because they didn't handle it well. So lesson, you know, obvious lesson there to point at. And here's a big one, you know, short of somebody sabotaging you, disgruntled employee, uh, espionage, whatever, um, or just blatant recklessness. I came into work and I'm hammered and I typed in the wrong command and I did something stupid or I'm, you know, whatever. Um, unless somebody is absolutely being malicious or just irresponsible, the human beings are going to cause problems. Um, people are going to mean absolutely well, but do the wrong thing. Um, even the most skilled professionals among us and the reaction when that happens and when that is the cause of downtime, um, I'm declaring it should not be punitive. It should be treated as a learning experience uh, for everybody. It should be talked about, examined. The person who did the wrong thing is still gonna feel uh, guilty as heck inside. They're going to be doling out their own punishment in their mind. They're going to be uncomfortable for days. You know, they don't need a boss also, um, 
you know, kind of coming down on them. Um, you know, good to let them know that it it's not acceptable and we, we need to make sure it doesn't happen again. But, you know, the notion of being punitive, all that's going to do is make people not want to fess up. And it's going to make people not want to say the words and expose the facts that lead to better strategies to prevent downtime in the future. And kind of the corollary to that, you might be a little bit soft on your own uh, people for causing downtimes, but um, you know, if the fault ends up laying outside of your organization, again, like an ISP or uh, you know, whatever, some vendor that is key to your operation, something they have connected uh, to you, uh, maybe not be so forgiving. Hold them to a stronger, um, not even a stronger SLA, so to speak, but hold them to a higher standard of, you know, I'm not gonna immediately forgive you like I might immediately forgive one of my own professionals. I need to dig deeper on this. You need to prove to me what you're doing that this isn't gonna happen again, and that's on you. Whereas you can talk it out with your own people, you may not be able to talk it out with the vendor. Therefore, you know you you hold their feet to the fire and make sure that they're doing what you would do if you had been responsible for that outage. If that makes any sense. So, um, again, I know we're getting close to the end here. Every company who relies on their network needs a strategy. Um, and that strategy may not work, but you gotta start somewhere. And then you iterate and you learn lessons, you document, you walk through, um, you know, what happened, you make sure that, you know, what you've learned is preventable for next time. You do drills, you do testing, uh, you just don't wait for an incident to happen and then figure out what you're gonna do about it. You gotta have some kind of strategy in place to deal with downtime. Like I say, and then, then you grow from there. Hopefully, um, talking about the costs enforces why this is so important. And then we go to the elephant hanging on the wall at the George Eastman House in Rochester, New York, just to spark discussion. Thanks, Lee. Yeah, great talk. Uh, one of the things that, that came to mind for me um, was just how important communication is during unplanned, you know, disruptive outages. You know, I've had some of those, I've had to experience some of those, unfortunately, in my in my uh, uh, professional life. And it seems to me that what people really wanna know is just what's going on. So if you can just share with the right people, um, we're aware of it. We've got people dispatched. Uh, we think it might be X, Y, Z. A little communication like that really goes a long way, because a lot of uh, a lot of what management wants to know is just, hey, somebody knows about this and is working on it, um, so that can be helpful. Have you had that yeah, experience too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, better to you know something happens, you realize that there's a, you realize that something catastrophic is before you, you take a wag at estimating what the impact is, you know, whether it's a building or an area of a building or a complete campus, whatever, you know, I usually get message right to the help desk, um, however that is, and make sure that they're aware. So when the phones start ringing, 
and I also make sure that my boss knows what's going on and who's working on it and if we can give an estimated ETA and if my boss isn't around skip him go right to his boss because uh, you know people need to know and better for them to hear it in your words than you know the word on the street which can be just profoundly incorrect yeah that's an important point the the bosses are going to find out about the outage it's better if if we tell them about it rather than you know a screaming um belligerent end user so all right question from uh olivier and i want to invite anybody else um, that has a question to submit it in the q a pane uh, he says lee what are some of your personal strategies to prevent downtime i.e ha controllers peppering APs from different switches, et cetera? Uh, great question. So if you are controller-based, um, yeah, I run, I run um, you know, everywhere I have controllers, I have, uh, you know, the primary and the secondary, and uh, not only do we have them, but quarterly we test and make sure that the failover is going to work. And then those... Um, our controllers are located in different data centers if you have that luxury. So, and then each one is on a different power feed. So, I mean, you, you can, a lot of it depends on how you are um, equipped and how redundant you can go. And then, you know, we have dense uh, AP coverage. So if an AP uh, dies, you know, the other AP, nobody's going to miss it ideally because of the density. That That's the goal, but you, know, you can work it all the way um, from the AP, you can work that notion all the way into the core network or the core services of the network. Redundant controllers, um, you know, redundant data centers. Each controller goes to a different router. Each router is part of a, um, you know, VRF. Wh whatever, you know what I mean. Work it all the way through. You've got multiple DNS servers and. They live in a very robust VM environment if, if you have that as part of your um, topology. But um, to me, it's it's redundancy uh, everywhere you can practically put it. And if you can't practically be redundant, being uh, absolutely aware of where you don't have redundancy and what could happen because of a you know that that point of failure in the path and. Um, you know, just being ready for it when it happens and at least having some sense of, okay, if that were to crap out, what would I do? Do I have a hot spare? You know, what is my strategy for that non-redundant part of the network? Should it go down? Yeah, I think that's really important. Uh, you know, and even with enterprise class hardware, it all requires um, uh, hardware maintenance at some point. You know, some products are designed for core networks and they can do in-service software upgrades up to a point, and then you have to take it out of service. I mean, there's always, unless you're buying, you know, crazy carrier grade routers that really are designed to run for a decade without any, you know, downtime at all, the stuff we're buying for enterprise, you know, it's not built to that spec. So press your vendor to figure out exactly, you know, what kind of routine maintenance it needs um, because even if you're not have you know, even if those unplanned outages don't occur, you know, one of the preventative measures, of course, is keeping your code upgraded and doing the routine maintenance that requires outages as well. So, 
get a good feel for that for any of those areas where you have, you know, a, a single point of failure for sure. Uh, maybe one last question um, here from Hassan, who says, I want to know from Lee's experience how to calculate to understand how much downtime is needed. Thank you. Um, oh boy, that's a... I'll, I will admittedly say I struggle um, for an answer and why I struggle for an answer is I, I've taken part in countless conversations where, you know, five nines is the goal, six nines is the goal, whatever. And, you know, you say, okay, that means, you know, X number of minutes per year or whatever, but then does that mean the entire network end to end, edge to edge, core to edge, however, you know, every single part of the network um, is up or if I lose one switch out of 1300, well, it's a network outage for that area, but it, the whole network isn't impacted. How do you squeeze that in? Um, so rather, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's a very complex, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to just simplify, um, you know, what's permissible and whatever, but given the complexity and whether you're talking about the entire network or just segments of the network or whatever, and as I kind of fumble my way through this, I guess I would just jump right to, you know, the least possible, you know, you have to do maintenance, you have to do upgrades. Um, some of those, like, like you alluded to, Jim, you can do hot and live and nobody's going to feel it. Some of them do require an outage, but the bottom line is you just try to minimize the downtime to the least that you can um, and effectively keep things upgraded and current and all of that. And that's gonna be different depending on, you know, the way the network is set up, what hardware you're using. And I don't know how you ever come to a single answer for a question like that. Um, depending on um, you know what you're using and how your topology is set up. One thing I would say along those lines is that you, you know, just stick with the code thing. You can get burned so much by vendor code. You put in new code, um, five minutes later, you got a problem. Okay, well, let's go to this code. Uh, five minutes later or five days later, five months, whatever. Now you're doing another code because some other problem comes up. It's good to stay on current code, but you also have to have a process to vet that code. Yeah, the vendor wants me to go to this. Why? Why do they want you to go to it? What is being addressed? What's being solved? What have other people experienced on that code? Don't rush into any code version without doing some homework to see if it's good for you, if it fixes problems that you actually have and if other people are getting burned by it, that, that's another you know step in minimizing your own pain. Yeah, the the code upgrades can be seductive, right? Because you know you've got X Y Z bugs, and maybe they're causing problems for you, and you want to patch them because the new code has fixes for those. But what isn't in the release notes of the new code? are all the unknown bugs that it introduces that in some cases could be uh, you know, worse than the, the, the bugs you're patching. So you gotta be really conservative there and um, 
don't move very quickly is my advice with, with code upgrades. You don't want to go first, especially. Fully agree. So, all right, Kelsey, I think with that, uh, we'll wrap up the Q&A.